0: This week on Myths and Legends, it's a story from Romania that has some pretty solid parenting tips. Like, don't make promises you can't keep, especially if that promise is that a person will be young forever and never die. Also, don't put your kid on timeout. The really great parents turn their misbehaving child into a giant monster that will terrorize the land for hundreds of years. The creature this week is what would happen if you crossed big bird, the count, and extreme incontinence. <laughs> This is Myths and Legends, episode 117. What did it cost? This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week's episode is brought to you by Facebook Watch. 12 years ago, a mysterious cult walked into the woods in search of a better life. Now, all that's left are ashes two dead bodies, and one girl. Uncover what happened to Minnow Bly in Sacred Lies, a new series only on Facebook Watch. In Facebook, click on the Facebook Watch icon or follow the Sacred Lies show page for new episodes on Fridays. Today's story is a fairy tale. It's not really linked to anything historical and thus not a legend, and it's not really religious in nature, so it's not a myth. It's set vaguely in the late Middle Ages and was originally collected in 1872 by German author Mieti Kremnitz, after he moved to Romania, yeah, no, go ahead. It's a one room shack. Let's see how many courtiers we can jam in here, the wise man said to the messenger. He had seen the emperor coming down the road. Being the local wise man, he was quite the hot commodity, especially for emperors trying to have sons. And when you're a fairy tale wise man, and quite possibly a wizard, who's on the verge of retirement, well, your clients can come to you, even if your clients are the emperor and the empress of the land. However, the wise man did not anticipate that they would bring all of their attendants with them, so it was going to be a tight fit in his tiny house. Luckily, he already set the herbs out. Here you go, the wise man said to the emperor with a low bow. The emperor cocked his head. After a moment, the wise man slowly stood, confused. The emperor was going to ask if he had any plants that could, you know, bestow the blessings of children or something, right? And the wise man would say, Yes, he had just the thing and go get it. He cut out that step. Here you go, your highness. Real quick, though, it'll only bring about one child. He'll be a handsome, lovable boy, but you won't be able to keep him for long. And, oh, you're just all leaving? No follow up questions for the wizard's monkey paw of an herb? All right. You're welcome, by the way. getting too old for this. And so the prince was born, and he screamed when he came out of his mother. He was a healthy, wonderful, lovable baby boy, and, wow, seriously, he should stop screaming now, right? The physicians, fingers in their ears, yelled and nodded. Yes, absolutely. But the boy did not stop screaming. His little face turned red and purple as, nearly an hour after his birth, he continued screaming. Mother and father began to grow worried. He wasn't latching, wasn't eating, wasn't sleeping. All he did was scream. The mother tried to comfort him, but nothing helped. Finally, the father scooped him into his arms and whispered to his son, the world was his. He would give him kingdoms and princesses. He would give him ships and land. Still, the baby continued crying. Then the father kissed his son and whispered, I will give you youth without age and life without death. And the baby stopped crying. He fell silent and when he awoke, he ate. After that day, he was a quiet, wonderful baby and the whole empire rejoiced. They had a prince and their emperor had an heir. As the boy grew, he became like a second Solomon, a wise prince that traveled far and wide and was respected by every teacher and philosopher he met. When his 15th birthday rolled around, he stood at the banquet and addressed his father. The time had come for him to give the prince what he was promised at birth. The father nearly spit out his wine. Oh, I'm sorry, what? Oh, he laughed. Yeah, no, he couldn't do that. Surprised, the boy asked why not. That time, the king actually spit out his wine in laughter. What was it? Youth without death and life agelessly? He couldn't remember. He was a new parent. He was really tired back then. Youth without age and life without death, the prince corrected. Ah, yeah, that was it. Hold on. How do you even remember that? You were like an hour old. Gah, regardless, it doesn't matter. You're a smart kid. You know that's impossible. I only said that so you would stop crying. If every parent was held to every promise they made their kids, I mean, there aren't enough ponies and ice cream in the world. The room laughed. The prince did not. He made to leave. But the king stood and met him halfway out the door. Where was he going? The prince answered that if his father was not going to give him what he was promised, then he would have to seek it out for himself. He would search the world over until he found what was promised to him. What he was born to have. The emperor's eyes widened. No, 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 come on. Don't leave. He was just 15. This was medieval Europe did he have any idea how super dangerous questing was at this time? There was like, so much child death. What, did he want the throne? He could have it. The king took off his crown and positioned it on his son's head. He was getting old, but he knew that his son had the right disposition to rule, so they wouldn't run into a Joffrey Baratheon situation. Did he want a wife? He knew some good-looking princesses. The prince took the crown off and set it back on his father's head. He was leaving. He would find what was promised to him or he would die. The father could see that his son was relentless, and he would leave regardless of whether or not the father consented. The most he could do was see that the boy was outfitted for this impossible quest. In the stables, Prince looked on the finest steeds in the entire realm. He walked over to the stable, putting his hands on the horse's tails, and one by one, they were knocked over. The stable boy who had just witnessed the prince's horse tipping spree, was very confused. How did that even happen? The prince didn't answer, so I have no idea either, but he did lay eyes on another tail in the corner. He walked over to the horse, placed his hand on its tail, and it stayed upright. He commanded the beast to come out and face him, and a sick, weak horse covered in sores limped out. It bowed low on the ground. What do you command, my master? the horse asked. He was grateful that God had permitted a hero's hand to touch him once again. The prince took all of this in stride, saying that he intended to find youth without age and life without death. The horse sighed, sure, that's nearly impossible, but why not? So he told the prince what he needed to do. The emperor had seen many adventuring days, and he had adventuring gear that he could no longer fit into. The prince needed to go to his father and ask for his sword, lance, bow, quiver, And all of his garments and armor. The prince nodded. And then they should set out? The horse shook his horse head. Nay, the horse might not have fallen over like all those other big horse dominoes here, but he was still super sick. I mean, look at these sores. The prince needed to care for him for six weeks oatmeal every day. In the end, it was good the prince had to wait. All of his father's armor had become super rusty. A month and a half later, the prince entered the stable with his last bowl of oatmeal. The horse gulped it down and sighed. Suddenly, the sores fell from his body. All of his muscles exploded, and he sprouted not just two wings, but four. The prince probably felt like the horse could have mentioned that any of this was going to happen in the month and a half leading up to it, but whatever. In three days' time, they would leave. The emperor and the empress hugged their only son, now clad in his father's refurbished armor. The father said the quest was impossible, but he prayed every night that his son would somehow see it through, and return to them. Also, where did he get a flying horse? Wait, was that thing in the stables the whole time? The emperor also said that he couldn't stop the prince from leaving, but he could help him as much as possible. With the wave of his hands, two carts emerged. One was laden with gold and jewels, enough to buy a small kingdom itself. In the other carriage was a feather bed. The son thanked his father, and he said he would put the gold and the bed to good use. There was also a small team of attendants who would accompany him on his journey. The prince smiled. His father had thought of everything. The emperor hugged the prince. If anyone could do the impossible, he could, and his mom and dad would look forward to the day when the prince came over that hill once again. The prince nodded. So would he. With that, he rode off, and, even though it was slow going with a small kingdom's worth of gold and a mobile bedroom in tow, the prince eventually disappeared over the hill. In three days of riding that really should have been only one, the prince stopped the caravan. He thanked the servants for their willingness to leave their homes forever, but this was where they would be leaving him. He was now on the edge of his father's lands, looking out in the dangerous wilderness beyond. He would take enough gold to eke by on his travels, but from this point on, it would just be he and his horse. Of the six men there, they could divide the gold up and live as extremely wealthy men, but they could never go home again. The men looked at one another, smiles creeping up on their faces. Oh man, this was a really hard choice. But twist their arm, they would take more money than they could spend in three lifetimes and go. For their prince, of course. The prince thanked them for their understanding and left the six men to hopefully not kill each other over the money. As they approached the border, the horse slowed and spoke. Beyond the border was their first challenge, a monster that murdered everyone who entered her domain, the woodpecker fairy. But, what, is this funny to you? The prince shrugged. Kind of? The horse snorted. He was glad the prince found it so amusing. Here, we'll go ahead and turn the corner. The pair left the king's lands and entered the wilderness. As soon as they turned the corner, The prince found himself looking across a field of bones. The prince was chuckling, but his laughter quickly faded away, caught in his throat. Perhaps the name Woodpecker Fairy wasn't as amusing as he first thought? The horse continued, saying that the Woodpecker Fairy had once been a girl, but she was disobedient to her parents. And so they turned her into a giant, murderous woodpecker and banished her to the forest, as all parents have the ability to do, just FYI. Now she lived with her children in the forest. Tomorrow, They would meet her, and their lances would need to be sharp, and their quiver full. Yeah, the prince didn't need to raise his hand. It was just the two of them, the horse said. The prince lowered his hand. Okay, so the woodpecker fairy was changed into the woodpecker fairy as a child, right? The horse replied that that was exactly what he had just said. The prince nodded and continued. So, she had children though? The horse nodded. The prince sat back. Okay, so did she like meet another giant woodpecker, or a normal-sized woodpecker, or are her children woodpecker-human hybrids after she met a guy who was into that sort of thing? I have so many questions. Look, I don't know her whole backstory, okay? She has kids, I don't know how they got here. The prince said he could help with that. You see, when a giant mommy woodpecker fairy and a daddy of undisclosed species and size love each other very much, the horse cut him off. He was very funny. Let's just get going, okay? Okay. That night, the prince sat up by the fire. It was third watch and the sun was starting to rise in the east. Over the horse's snores, the prince heard it. The woodpecker fairy was on her way. He nudged the horse awake and the horse listened. She was coming from the north. Arrows it is then. The horse flapped his wings and took to the sky. The horse was right to warn the prince about her. She came crashing through the forest with so much size and speed that she leveled every tree in front of her. She had seen the smoke of their fire in the morning sky and took off after the intruders. She saw the prince standing on a hill next to the smoke and she went straight for him. He wouldn't be much, but maybe he would be a nice bit of breakfast for her daughters. She flapped and she dove and she took a horse hoof to the eye. She stopped and swatted at the flying horse and the prince, who was very much not throwing away his shot, fired at her talon. As it turned out, The prince was a very good shot. He hit the talon just above the joint and the whole thing fell off. The woodpecker screamed or squawked. I'm not sure what sound a woodpecker makes. Anyway, she begged them to stop. The prince was now lining up another shot when the horse fluttered between him and the woodpecker fairy's other talon. Their enemy yielded. They needed to respect that, he cautioned. The woodpecker fairy fluttered to the ground and hobbled on one talon. She said that as soon as she saw the horse, She knew she couldn't win this fight. She could die. The horse couldn't. The prince cocked an eyebrow and looked at his friend. The horse shrugged. Yep, he was immortal. That's why he was weak and covered in disease in the prince's stables, yet not dead. The woodpecker fairy picked her other talon up off the ground and apologized for the misunderstanding. She just killed anyone who came into her lands. It was kind of her thing. Back in her woodpecker fairy house, the prince was somehow even more confused. The woman's daughters were beautiful. After he finished reattaching their mom's foot that he shot off and concluded a breakfast of insects or whatever giant woodpeckers eat, the woodpecker fairy offered one of her daughters in marriage to the prince to unite the dynasty of the high king and house woodpecker fairy. The prince, of course, politely refused. Not only was all this completely off the wall crazy, but he was on a quest. He and the horse stayed three days and then they continued on. Oh my gosh. The scorpion witch? You're not kidding. Woodpecker fairy really got the raw end of that deal." The prince murmured as he looked on the singed grass. Up ahead lay the realm of the scorpion witch, the younger sister of the woodpecker fairy, who was also bad enough to be turned into a legendary monster by her award-winning parents. I feel if turning your child into a horrific monster that will forever plague the land with fire, and or pecking, is the first place and the only place you go when disciplining them, you probably need to read a parenting book or 12. Regardless, the scorpion witch and the woodpecker fairy were both so evil that they couldn't live together. So just beyond the lands of the woodpecker fairy, they found still more bones, this time scattered atop the ash-caked wastes. Soon, they heard the scorpion's trademark howling, and they knew the time had come. The scorpion witch was on her way. The prince saw her barreling toward him on her six legs, pincers outstretched and turned to his horse friend. Well wasn't he I mean, shouldn't he be doing the distraction thing that they did last time? But the horse shook his head. Nope, nope, absolutely not. He might be immortal, but Scorpion poison really, really hurts. And they didn't have time for his six week oat cleanse to heal him from all those toxins. So no. He was just gonna lead from behind for this fight. The Prince groaned and notched his arrow, took aim, and took off the scorpion witch's head with one shot. The head thudded to the ground, and the scorpion witch stopped. Ow, okay, time out. She wasn't going to kill or poke them, just, would they mind helping her find her head? They helped her find her head, and the prince helped her reattach it. The scorpion witch hadn't really met the right scorpion warlock yet, and so she didn't have any daughters to offer the prince. They stayed there for another three days before taking off again. On the road, the horse guide shared that this next part, this was where things started to get weird. The prince grimaced. Started to get weird? The horse ignored him. They were coming up on a forest. At the center of that forest was a castle where the prince would find what he sought. Youth without age and life without death. Three sisters lived in the castle and every day they feathered chickens that lived in the forest. The prince narrowed his eyes. That didn't seem all that weird. The horse, of course, understood why the prince thought that. But the sisters had never actually seen a chicken before. The horse pointed a hoof up ahead. Those were the chickens. From the forest came a flapping and a screech as the chickens exploded from the canopy. First one, then two, then five. More screeching came from below. Oh! Fantastic. Dragons. The sisters cared for the dragons in the forest and the dragons obeyed them. As the prince watched the dragons swarm, fighting over a goat in the sky, he began to dismay. Look in your pack, the horse told the boy. You should find some straps. They needed to get ready because they were going to fly. The horse wasn't usually able to fly with someone on his back. I imagine it was hard enough to be a flying horse, with regular horse bone density, and still take flight. And so with a human on his back, it was nearly impossible. Nearly. Fortunately, the prince was light, and all they needed was to clear the trees. The dragons didn't seem to go into the palace, so if they could get to the lowest tower, they would be safe. Now, the horse couldn't have the prince shifting his weight, or moving around, or God forbid, falling. Flying was hard enough as it was, and so he had the prince strap himself in. He needed the prince to stay as close to him as possible. Once they were ready, the horse took a deep breath. He was immortal, but the path through a dragon's digestive track was not a journey he ever wanted to take in his life. He steeled himself, and he took off at a gallop. Once he got up to full speed, he started to beat his wings. The prince gripped his friend and looking down, he saw the horse's hooves start to leave the ground. The wings beat harder and the horse began to sweat. But when they reached the forest, they very nearly made it above the trees. But the horse's back hoof clipped a branch and the forest took notice. As the horse started to climb just a little higher and continued to fly above the leaves, the prince looked back. The forest started to shudder, and then a swarm came. Red dragons, green dragons, blue dragons, they beat their wings and salivated as they swooped closer. The horse could feel their snapping jaws near his tail. He was worked to a lather as they neared the lowest tower, and then the teeth came. The largest dragon caught him and his teeth grazed his hoof. The horse whinnied and stopped flapping for an instant, but that instant was enough the shortest tower was now beyond their reach, and the pair started descending quickly toward the forest. The branches scraped both of them as the horse went down hard in the small clearing just outside the palace. The prince rushed to remove the straps, but there was no time. The dragons were upon them. The largest one snapped at the others, warning them to stay back from his kill. Then he looked at the prince and the horse and froze. The prince, sitting strapped to his injured friend, was wincing, expecting to be instantly devoured. But when that didn't happen, he opened his eyes. One of the sisters was standing behind them. The dragons would go no further. They were saved. The only thing the prince managed before he fainted was oatmeal. His friend needed oatmeal. Every day the prince went to see his friend. The morning after they arrived, the prince awoke to three sisters waiting for him with breakfast on gold plates. There were three sisters. The youngest one was about the prince's age and the older two were twins in their late thirties. They asked what the prince sought here, why he would brave the dragons. Youth without age and life without death, the prince managed. All three women smiled. It would be his. That and so much more could be his. The older sister said that the younger had saved him because she had never seen a human before. And she was in love. The prince would be giving youth without age and life without death regardless. But if he wanted, he could marry the youngest sister and stay here. This was a magical place and they wanted for nothing. The prince didn't wait to be asked twice. He agreed and they were married. Months later, the prince walked with his friend, the horse through the forest. They were of the castle now, so the dragons left them alone. Some even obeyed them. They grew quickly too. The ones that were babies only months prior were now massive, elder dragons. The horse had fully recovered and he was happy to spend his time in that land. They never went beyond the boundaries of the forest to the west. To the east, a valley served as the border to the lands. They were told never to enter that valley called the Valley of Lamentations. The prince asked why, and his wife told him that it was called the Valley of Lamentations. It wasn't a happy place. Please, trust her on this one. Well, that was fine, because he had virtually no desire to go there. He was happy. he had found the thing promised to him at birth. Youth without age. Life without death. He had a kingdom here. He had friends. It was wonderful. Then, one day, the happy prince had taken a morning break from the castle library to go out and hunt with his friend. He found a stag, notched his arrow, and let it fly. His aim was legendary. He had repelled two monsters with it. But by now, a few months later, he was rusty. He didn't hit the deer where he hoped, and his shot was not a fatal one. The deer took off, running. The horse knelt down for his prince to hop on, and in seconds, the two friends were chasing the deer east. It reminded the pair of their quest to the palace, of the danger and thrill and camaraderie. Lost in thought, neither stopped to think about where they were going. They burst from the trees and saw the deer staggering up ahead, only to collapse on the rocks. It was dead. They had it. But they had gone somewhere they had never meant to go. They looked to their left and right, to the rock walls on either side, where nothing grew. They were in the Valley of Lamentations. The horse stopped and hung his head. It wasn't, he couldn't. He told the prince to get off of him. The prince barely touched the ground when the horse took off into the sky, flapping west. The prince didn't watch him go. He just doubled over and wept. That night when he came back, he tried to put on a happy face, but his wife and her sisters instantly discerned what he had done. He had gone to the Valley of Lamentations. His time there was coming to an end. After 15 whole minutes of holding it together and telling his wife that everything was fine, he was totally feeling fine, please stop asking, the prince broke down. He missed it. He missed everything, his home, his country, his mother and father. They had done so much for him and he just left them. It was months ago. They might think he was dead. He had to go back, if only for a day. The princess sat him down. She had something to tell him. He had been giving youth without age and life without death. When you didn't have to think about time, when you're immortal, time moves differently for you. She took a deep breath. His parents were dead. It hadn't been months, as he just said, but 350 years since he had left home. The prince laughed, but then he saw that his wife was serious. He shook his head, that was impossible. How had he not thought about his family for 350 years? His wife stood and shrugged. The magic of this place kept them young forever, and it kept him from regretting everything he had left behind. But all magic had limits. The Valley of Lamentations made you remember the world that passed you by. They had all passed into the valley. They all lived with that knowledge now. In some ways, they were grateful that the prince had gone so long in blissful ignorance. However, the prince wasn't as strong. A day passed, and he only grew sadder. He was being consumed by his grief. That night, he embraced his wife at dinner. He was going for a walk he would be back soon. The prince found his way to the stables and to the horse. In minutes, he was galloping west. He was going home. As the prince approached the realm of the scorpion witch, his horse began to slow. It was weak and it died before he even saw the lights. The prince gathered his things and threw the pack over his back. He recognized the mountain range to his right, marking the entry to the scorpion witch's lands, but, that was all he recognized. In front of him, a sprawling city hummed along with life and commerce. As he walked through town, he realized that he was a curiosity. He wore strange clothes and had a funny accent. He found an inn to stay the night and he asked what happened to the scorpion witch. The man next to him at the bar almost spat ale in his face, he laughed so hard. The scorpion witch, what was a grown man doing asking about fairy tales? Their great, great grandparents had told tales of the scorpion witch but it was just a story for the children now." The prince shook his head. That was impossible. He had passed through this land mere months ago. It was a three-day ride through ash. Nothing existed, nothing except the scorpion witch. The bartender overheard this and rolled his eyes. He was cutting the prince off. he had obviously had too much already. Not long after, the confused prince ended up being thrown out of the inn, and so he spent the night huddled around a campfire just outside of town. Gold still being gold, he was able to buy another horse and continue west. Soon, he found himself crossing into the forest lands of the Woodpecker Ferry. There, at the city that had developed over the last 300 years in its place, he learned that the Woodpecker Ferry was also a story for children. But it wasn't particularly effective on account of the Woodpecker Ferry not sounding scary at all. Finally, he neared the borders of his father's lands, or what had once been his father's lands. He was scared to ask, but he had to know what awaited him. At first, people didn't even recognize the name of the old empire. He traveled through town, seeking anyone who knew the history of the region. At last, he found someone, an ancient old man. His father's 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 grandfather had once been the scribe for the old emperor. Legend had it that the emperor's son left on an impossible quest and he never returned. The emperor held out hope for his return and so he never named an heir. Even on his deathbed, he knew his son would return, as young and as glorious as ever, having found what he sought. He had that much faith in his boy. None of his nobles or petty kings shared his enthusiasm, though. The minute life left his body, a succession crisis ensued. By bloodlines or bloodshed, six different kings tried to stake their claim on the throne. Eventually, the capital burned and what was left of the empire was carved into pieces by the remaining kings. The only thing left of the capital was ruins, about a four-day ride from there. The prince asked the old man for directions. He had to go see what was left of the area. The man drew the prince a map, but told him to be careful. The world wasn't as dangerous as the old times. He laughed and handed the prince the map. We old timers can't be too safe, though. Prince was confused. The old man shook his head. He didn't mean anything by it. The prince was probably younger than him, but not by much. At their age, they couldn't get offended when people pointed out the obvious. The prince took the map and stood. He went to the old man's bathroom and looked in the mirror. A white beard and wrinkles clung to his face. What was left of his white hair didn't nearly cover the liver spots. His wrinkled hands shook as he raised them to his face. He was aging. He had been so focused on how the world had changed that he didn't notice how he had changed. Nearly 400 years in his wife's palace were catching up to him after he left the forest. That explained the horse he had rode out on too. It hadn't been weak. It just had a lot less time to age than he had. He looked at himself in the mirror. Time was running out. He already looked older than the man in the other room. If he was gonna see what happened to his home, he needed to leave that instant. Riding wasn't as easy as it had been even days earlier. The old prince tired easily and quickly became sore. Still, he pressed on. He passed what remained of the forest on his father's land that designated the edge of the empire. He hung his head. Just a few months ago, he had sent the servants off with more gold than they could spend in several lifetimes. Several lifetimes had passed and now he was back. He coughed, he knew he didn't have much time. He rode hard for a day until he saw it, the hill. Stunned, he slid down from his horse. His father's capital had once been a magnificent city of stone. In his time, the old emperor's family had ruled for generations and it never fell to an enemy. All it took was a civil war after the prince disappeared to leave it nothing but ruins. The prince walked through what had once been bustling city streets, now overgrown with moss and weeds years of dirt having claimed the cobblestone walkway. The roof had caved in over his father's throne room, so the afternoon light illuminated what was left of the stone chair. He shuffled up and sat on it, remembering the fires that had always burned in his father's house while he held court. This was supposed to have been his, and he had left. The city was sacked shortly after his father's death, and so his parents' bodies were lost. There wasn't even a grave he could go in order to pay his respects. Then he heard a noise, bandits. The old prince gripped his teeth. He might have let the empire fall, but he wasn't gonna let what remained of his father's house be a home for outlaws. He pulled his sword out or tried to anyway. It wasn't immune to aging either and it had rusted in its own scabbard. The world was a calmer place now. The prince hadn't needed the sword yet on his way back. He turned the corner, I knew you would come back here, the prince heard. He looked up from a scabbard. There, in the stables, was his old friend, the horse. The ancient creature struggled to his hooves and limped over to the prince. He looked exactly like he did when the prince had found him. He had flown from the land, and when he realized what had happened, it was too late. He was too weak, and he couldn't fly back. He knew the prince had been affected the same way by the Valley of Lamentations. He knew the prince couldn't help but leave as well, and if he did, there would be one place to which the prince would return. He, like the horse, would go back home. It doesn't say what the prince said in the story, but I can imagine him going to his old friend, the creature with whom he had been through so much and embracing him before collapsing. The horse knelt down to his old friend. Unlike him, the prince wouldn't live forever. He wouldn't even live five more minutes. That's why the horse had come back and waited patiently, starving in the dark for 20 years between when he left and when the prince left. The prince was his friend and the horse didn't want him to die alone, consumed by regret the horse held his friend as the life left him. Minutes later, the prince was dust, and the horse was alone again. Despite being immortal, the horse was too weak to stand. He didn't want to though. The world he knew had passed away, the time of scorpion witches and dragons and flying horses. Those things were all fairy tales now, and there was no place for him in this new world. His place was here with his friend in the ruins of the kingdom. He set his head down, and went to sleep. They say that if you visit the ruins of that forgotten castle, and an empire that has been lost to time, you can walk through what remains of the old stable, and hear a kind, old voice. One that tells of a prince, who risked it all, and did the impossible. It for the story this week. If you're looking for something else to listen to, season 3 of fictional is in full swing. And this week we started the super famous classic horror novel, Dracula and you can find it by going to fictional.fm or by searching for fictional wherever you get your podcasts. The creature this week is the Healy from Lesotho in Africa. Now, I'm pretty certain every culture has a vampire and each has a different way to attract a potential victim. Some vampires are very physically attractive. Some use hypnosis. Others, like the Healy, use bird poop. The Healy is like an evil, post-apocalyptic big bird. It's this massive, grizzled bird that wears a skull on its head, and it flies around at night, dripping bile and fecal matter from, let's hope, just one end. The Healy does this not only for the convenience of the world being its toilet, but it's also interested in target practice. If so much as one drop of the Healy's output hits you, get home now. If it's caught early, the sickness that's about to hit you can be cured by very strong magic. If you do not have access to very strong magic, well, things are about to get very bad for you. The illness is extremely contagious, and the infected risks getting the entire village sick. So, it's with heavy hearts that the village has to cast out one of their own. With the Hilly lacks in hygiene, it makes up for a knowledge of human psychology, it knows what the humans will do and the vampiric bird will be waiting on the edge of the wilderness ready to swoop down and exsanguinate its victim. So if you get pooped on by a bird but don't see the perpetrator, it's either extremely gross and you're going to die in a matter of days when a vampire big bird comes for you in the night or it's just extremely gross. that's it for this week the theme song is by the band broke for free and the creature of the week music is by steve Combs. there are links to other music in the show notes and today's episode was written by me jason weiser and edited and produced by carissa weiser thank you so much for listening and i'll see you next time